Good to see all of you here this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you want to grab your Bible and turn to 1 John. We continue to work our way through the book of 1 John as we continue in a series that I'm calling Blessed Assurance because 1 John is a book that is intended to provide assurance to Christians, to know that you know, uh, that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. I want us to read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through, let's read 1 through 6. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6, hear now the word of the true and living God. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let us pray. Lord God, we would see Jesus this morning, and we would walk in the same way in which he walked. Help us, Father. See clearly through your word the light that you are shining before our feet upon our path. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the key phrases in this text there in verse 1 is with the Father. We believe that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ has ascended back to the Father's right hand. He is with the Father in heaven. And so the title of this lesson, Christ in heaven. That's where Christ is right now, seated at the Father's right hand. And what, it, what this means for us is we must have an accurate knowledge of who He is. We must know who He is. And verse 1 clearly details who Christ is. But then we must also trust what Christ did. And verse 2 accentuates what Christ did as propitiation for our sins. But then also we must do what Christ commands. And that's where verses 3 through 6 come in. And it focuses on doing the commandments of Christ and how that means that we know Him. You want to know Christ? I know a lot of people who want to, to know Christ. And you know, it's strange because to know Him, you obey Him. But that's not what people want. I I could tell you, you know, eat a jelly donut while standing on your head and someone will more readily believe, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, to know God, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, go, go, you know, weave together a basket underwater or something and and people want the most extraordinary thing possible and they think, if I do this, out, this, this, this 
may even seem ridiculous thing, then I'll come to know God. And yet, how simple it is. And when you put it in its simplicity, people are like, no, that can't be it. He, he, he wants me to crawl on my hands and knees over, over asphalt and broken glass until I'm bleeding from my hands and my knees, and then I'll come to know Him. And listen, this, this is the case around the world, wherever people engage in religion outside of the Christian faith. It ends up being a distortion. That we, have to, that we think we have to ascend into heaven ourselves. And it's been this way ever since the beginning. What do you think that uh, Tower of Babel was all about way back in Genesis? You want to know God? Obey Him. You want to know Christ? Obey His commands. It, 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 it's not complicated. Very simple. Well, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, 2 verse 1, we, we talked at some length about this last week. My little children, term of endearment, and, and that's going to show up again and again in First John. John has a relationship with these folks. And, and, and that's why he, he writes to them the way that he does. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. As I mentioned last week, the greatest incentive to avoid sin and to pursue holiness is what God has done in Christ on your behalf through the cross when the Son shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He's gone to such great lengths to free you from sin and to forgive you of all of your sin. Why would you continue in sin and add to that debt that you owe? Don't sin. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, and we accentuated that a bit last week. But John is keenly aware of the human condition. He himself is a shepherd, an elder in the Lord's church, and he knows that we do continue to struggle with the world and the flesh and the devil, and that more often than we like to admit, we give into temptation and we sin. If anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father. And I accentuated last week the idea of advocate in terms of the divine court, where, the, where your father is the judge, your elder brother, Jesus is your uh, defending attorney, and, and the one who takes the stand as witness is the Holy Spirit. This week I want to accentuate something just a little bit different in terms of Christ in heaven, how he is with the Father, an advocate with the Father. He's right there with the Father. And so Christ is our advocate in heaven. And he serves as our mediator. And he is the one true mediator between humans and God. And he can fulfill that dual function there because of his two natures. He is 100% fully human, 100% fully divine, fully God, fully human. And in that way, he is the mediator in heaven, our advocate, the one that we can call alongside because he's at the side of the Father, even in the bosom of the Father, as John says, in his prologue to his gospel. We have an advocate with the Father. Now what's fascinating is, and I mentioned this uh, last week, this same term, advocate, is used in John's gospel for the Holy Spirit, who is the helper. And so on the one hand, we have an advocate in heaven, but on the other, we have an advocate, a helper in us. You see, Jesus said in John's gospel, I'm going to send the helper to you to be with you forever and even to be in you. And indeed, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the heart, in the life of the believer. And we have an advocate, a helper in us as well. 
sent by the Father and the Son to indwell us and to produce those new desires and those new affections. The one who enables us to, well, do what he commands. In and of ourselves, we don't have the uh, ability, we aren't capable of ourselves to do what God requires. So he sends his Spirit who leads us and who guides us and who enables us to walk in the paths of righteousness that God has set before us. Do we perfectly follow that holy helper? No, unfortunately we don't. And that's why the good news is, yes, but we have an advocate. That when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and it's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Again, know who he is. Know that he is your advocate in heaven with the Father, and know that he is the righteous one. And Jesus is 100% fully righteous. He did everything that the Father commanded He perfectly obeyed the Father. This is something that is accentuated by Jesus himself in John chapter 15 and verse 10, where he says that I have kept my Father's commandments and he abides, Jesus does, he abides in the love of the Father. And we'll come back to that verse here when we get to verse 3. But I just want you to see here, he is righteous, he is is holy, he uh, he is just in everything that he does. And since we have a righteous judge who is the Father, we need a righteous advocate as well. And that Jesus fits the bill fully inasmuch as He is God the Son. And so the G- Jesus Christ, the righteous one, He is righteous. And we uphold that. We maintain that He is the righteous one. Never did anything wrong, but always did that which is right. And as a result, He can intercede on our behalf. So we know who he is as our advocate, the righteous advocate, who's with the Father in heaven, who is able to and does help us when we sin. Now John, verse 2, points us to the finished work of Christ with the big $5 Bible word, propitiation. He, that is Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is propitiation for our sins. Now, I've spent the last two Monday nights during the live stream broadcast on YouTube breaking down propitiation, going uh, all throughout Scripture in order to to talk about this. And so if you want a deep dive, I'm going to point you to those videos uh, available on YouTube. The last two Monday night broadcasts have been about propitiation. In shorthand, what is propitiation? It's connected to sin. It's propitiation for our sins. And we know that sin... God's settled disposition to sin is wrath because he's a holy God, a perfect God. John's already told us that in 1 verse 5, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. And that points to his absolute moral perfection. And so sin, he can have no fellowship with sin. And in fact, his settled disposition to sin is wrath. And so long as a sinner remains under their sin, that means they remain under the wrath of God. This is something that John in his gospel, has already explained back in John chapter 3 and verse 36. John three thirty-six, he says there, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him or abides on him. That is, the wrath of God abides or remains upon the sinner 
who persists in their sin and persists in their rebellion. And so, again, God's settled disposition towards sin is wrath. And it is Christ who comes and dies on the cross for our sins. And what that means is He, Christ, takes upon Himself on the cross the full force of the fury of the Father for sin. He opens Himself up and all of the wrath of, and and this is another aspect of this, the wrath of God is also triune in nature because God is the triune God. And so I can we can walk through Scripture, and, and there are dozens of Scripture which talk about the wrath of the Father and the wrath of the Son and the wrath of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit is grieved because of sin. There is such a thing as the wrath of the Lamb, especially in Revelation, another work written by John, and uh, the wrath of the Father as well. And all of that, wrath for sin, Christ takes upon Himself. And so the wrath of God is turned away from sinners and it's focused fully on Christ on the cross. And Christ extinguishes, exhausts the wrath of God for sin on the cross. That's propitiation. It's also connected to the forgiveness of sins. And we've already seen back in 1 verse 7 that for those who are walking in the light, All of our sin is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so when when Christ is on the cross, He is doing the work He was sent here to do, do, which is to to shed His blood for the forgiveness and also to exhaust the wrath of God for our sins. Notice this. We do need to make a distinction here because John does. Notice he says, for our sins. And the hour here is his sins as well as the sins of those to whom he is writing. Christians, in other words, believers. And it's in, at th- those sins are distinct from the sins of those who are unbelievers. Their sin remains upon them. And this is also crucial for the immediate context. Because here is John writing to these Christians who are surrounded by, well, folks who are saying things like in 1 verse 8. They're running around saying, we have no sin. They're also running around saying, we have not sinned. We've never sinned. And so for those who are believers who persist in their sin and who even deny their sin, the question is, is is Christ propitiation for their sins? The answer is, As we've defined propitiation, no, because they refuse to acknowledge their sin. And the wrath of God remains upon them. Now, the good news is, if those sinners, just like we did, right, if they will acknowledge their sin, and if they will be grieved by their sin and and no longer persist in in saying, no, I've never sinned, if they will acknowledge their sin, and if they'll repent of their sin, and if they'll confess Christ as Lord and they will be obedient to Christ and obedient to the gospel and, and be baptized and experience the forgiveness of all, they'll experience that. And Christ will be propitiation for them as well. 
But so long as they persist in rebellion, they cannot claim Christ as propitiation like the believer can, like Christians can. But wait, Nick, he says, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And this is where the plot thickens, right? There are those who will say, well, what what John is doing here is he's talking about our sins, meaning Jews, and then uh, uh, it's kind of like what Paul says, the Jew first and also the Greek. The whole world would be the Gentile world. It could be that. I'm inclined to see here, though, that what John is saying here is he's saying for our sins, for himself and for the immediate readers, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is, believers who are scattered throughout all of the world, that, that Christ himself is gathering into one flock. There is a parallel text in John's gospel, in John chapter 11. Verses 45 and following, there's a conversation happening among the Pharisees, and they can't deny that Jesus is performing these miraculous signs. In fact, in John chapter 11, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead. What are we going to do? And it's the high priest, Caiaphas, in verse 49, who was high priest that year, who says to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. Now, Caiaphas is an unwitting prophet. He doesn't realize that he's spokesman for God here. And John gives the Holy Spirit-inspired explanation of this. In verse 51, he says, He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Christ has accomplished redemption for people from every tribe, language, nation, and people group all over the planet. He's accomplished redemption and he is propitiation for black, white, Hispanic, Asian, uh, Middle Eastern. It doesn't matter. People from all over the world who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ can claim Christ as propitiation for their sins. And it was true in John's day. And it's true all the way down. It's been true all throughout church history that Christ has been gathering into one people, His people who are scattered abroad all over. And He is propitiation for the sins of the whole world in that way. As Christ has satisfied the wrath of God for your sins and mine fully, we need to trust His work that He has accomplished. And then we do what Christ commands. And this is where we know that uh, this isn't just ollie ollie income free, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want now because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. He says here in verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And again, you want to know Christ, you want to know God, Obey Him. Obey His commandments. And in fact, I mentioned it earlier, back in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, and in verse 10, we saw there, he says, I've kept the Father's commandments. But notice how this verse begins. John 15 and verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
You want to remain in the love of Christ and remain in the love of the Father? Obey Him. And, and the way this is, is written here, uh, John says, by this we know, and that's a present tense verb, we, we continue to know, in other words, that we have come to know Him. And I, I've talked about what's called the perfect tense, past completed action, present continuing results. Past completed action, present continuing results. We, have, we, we came to know Christ, and as a result, we continue to know Him, and we know that we have come to know Him. This is, this is sure knowledge. It's a certainty, uh, without a doubt. How do we know? How do you know that you know Him? You obey His commandments. We are obedient to Him. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus says there, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Him? And then John, he presents the, the antithesis of this, the, the opposite. 1 John 2 and verse 4, whoever says, I know him, and in fact, the force of this is, again, it's that perfect tense, I have come to know him and I continue to know him. Whoever says that but does not keep his commandments, it's not your habitual practice to obey him in, in all that you do, John says, you're a liar. You lie. And the truth is not in you. All this business about obeying His commandments, what does this have to do with Christ as our advocate, Christ as uh, our propitiation? What does it have to do with the forgiveness of sins, the, the continual cleansing by His blood? Well, this actually ties all the way back to 1 verse 5 where it says God is light. His commandments are a revelation of His character and of His nature. That is to say, His commandments are light for our path. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, Your word is a light unto my path, is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my way. God's word, His commandments are light. And so He has revealed light. He's revealed light. And that, by the way, exposes everything else that is darkness. John says, obey Him. Will we keep His commandments perfectly? We've already talked about this, right? That's why John started where he did in 2 verse 1. If anyone does sin, and we do. And yet, as we read there in 2 verse 6, you ought to walk in the way in which He walked. You won't keep them perfectly, but you ought to. Feel the weight of that. That God really does expect us and really does want us to walk in His commandments. That's why He's given us His Word. All of this, again, is, is part of John's larger argument. This goes back to 1 verse 6 in 1 John, where there were those who were saying, we have fellowship with Him, but they're walking around in darkness. That is, they're not obeying the commandments. They're, they're doing life however they want to do it. John there said, no, we walk in the light. And that is a parallel to obey His commandments, keep His commandments, walk as Jesus walked. And we, we read in 15 verse 10 that He kept the Father's commandments. 
And in that way, he is an example for us. And, and notice the force here. Again, this is John's, these are John's words. John, who is inspired of the Holy Spirit. And so really in back of John is the authorship of the Holy Spirit who is saying this. So you can get mad at me, but I encourage you, take it up with the Holy Spirit. Who says that if you walk around saying, yeah, I, I know God, I know Christ, but you're not doing His commandments, first of all, you're a liar. This is more than, this is more than just a boo-boo, right? More than just an oopsie-daisy. It's sin. Outright sin. And it's, it's, a, it's a reality that, that has gravity to it. This is a person who is walking around claiming to be light. And their life is all full of darkness. John says, this cannot exist within the Christian. We don't talk this way. Our walk matches our talk. And we say that we are obeying the commandments. It's evident in our life as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Someone says, well, who are you, right? We get this sometimes these days, right? Who are you to, to say that, that what I'm doing is wrong? First of all, I'm, I'm nobody. All I'm doing is pointing to Scripture. That, that what God says is wrong is wrong. Some will, will try to force the issue even further. It's not loving to tell people when they're doing wrong. Again, take that up with God. Because God himself identifies what is light and what is darkness. And exposing darkness for what it is is not unloving. It's no different than if you were to put like a, you know, back in the old cartoons when they had like, you know, whenever there was a, a character who was about to grab poison or got poison or something, there was a skull and crossbones on it, right? Because the poison, that's, that's death, right? So is that unloving to, to point to someone that, and tell them, this is poison, don't take this, it'll, it'll lead to your death? Eh, go on, right? It's just... or, or, or to put a, a, a lighthouse on the seashore so that, so that ships don't run ashore when it's especially dark or foggy outside, right? That's unloving. No, you're, you're identifying the danger. And in fact, that is an act of love to put the lighthouse on the shore. It's an act of love to say, this is poison, there's death in it, and that's why there's a skull and crossbones on it, right? It's an act of love to say, this is darkness. Because God has said it's darkness. And certainly want to do that with love and gentleness and respect. But if God identifies darkness, we can do no less. And the one who says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. It's a liar. And the truth is not in him. And, and we talked about why the truth isn't in someone. They've, they've thrown out the standard, which is God's standard, which is truth itself. And they become you know, a truth unto themselves. But if you keep God's word, he says here, you, in him truly the love of God is perfected. There's a lot more that can be said about the the perfection of the love of God within the Christian. And in fact, John is going to spend quite a bit of time when we get to chapter 4 working through that. But suffice it to say that on the one hand, there is certainly our love for God and, and there is 
an aspect of our sanctification where as we continue to walk with the Lord, the longer we walk with Him, the deeper our communion is with Him and the deeper our love is for God and for Christ and for the Holy Spirit. And certainly there's a, there's a sense in which our love for God is being perfected. But the way this is written seems to indicate this is God's love that, is, that He is perfecting within us. That it's His love for us which finds its perfection, its completion within us. And all of this also is focused on this language here of in Him, in Him, in Him. This is very personal. Even as Christ died on the cross for me and, and for you and how that's a personal thing, the outworking of this in our lives as, as, we, as we live the Christian life, this is a personal thing as well. That our, our communion is a very personal thing with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. It's true that we do commune together with one another, and we're going to gather at the table here in just a few minutes, and Christ will be host of that table. And we commune with one another, and we commune together with our Savior. But also, again, don't miss just how personal this is. It is in you and in you and in you that Christ's uh, work is being accomplished and that the love of God is being perfected. And so we see, again, once again, John putting on clear display who Christ is. And he's, he's calling us to know who Christ is as our righteous advocate with the Father. That, that when we do sin, although we, we should avoid it with, with all that's within us and, and, and by following the, the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and we should be putting to death sin and mortifying the flesh and all of that, when we do sin, Christ is our righteous advocate in heaven with the Father right now. And then we, we trust His work that, that when we do come up short, He, he is propitiation for our sins. And His blood continues to cleanse us of all of our sin so that we can have that uninterrupted fellowship with God. And then, knowing the goodness of God, knowing the, the, the sweetness of, of communion with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, we do what He commands. Chapter 5, John will add to this that his commandments are not burdensome. And for the sanctified heart, we know that. As Christians, those who believe in, we know that. His commandments are not burdensome. And we take this message with us going forward, knowing that it will, God's word will accomplish all the purposes that he sends it out for. That, that anyone can come to Christ and they will find him a more than willing and a more than perfect Savior. Because he is. And we know that because we've come to know that in him. Let's commit this to prayer. Once again, Father, we are humbled at the glory of Christ and, and the glory of, of his work that he accomplished on the cross for our sins. We give you praise, honor, and glory for that. Father, you know us. You know our frame, that we are of the dust. 
We pray that you would be mindful of our frame, knowing that we can only take so much. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would enable us to walk as Jesus walked, to keep your commandments, and to recognize they are not burdensome. I'm grateful for my brothers and my sisters here. I'm grateful for my friends who are here as well. I pray that the word of your gospel would sink deeply into the hearts and minds of all those who are here gathered and those who are watching online as well. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.